Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Front and center this hour, why the recent weakness in chip stocks is not viable and could be even more concerning to the overall market than you think. You'll hear from a closely followed guest today who says just that. We'll debate it with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Liz Young, Michael Farr, Farr Miller, and Washington, by the way. His firm ranked number 57 on this year's CNBC Financial Advisor 100 list. Congratulations to you. Steve Weiss here, Joe Terranova as well. Let's do what we always do at the beginning of the program. Check the markets today. It's a mixed picture. Dow and S&P are in the red. NASDAQ and the Russell are in the green. And the 10-year note yields at 155. We do want to start, though, with this weakness in chips, Weiss. I want to know how worrisome you think it is. And you're right in the center of it because your Skyworks and Corvo, two stocks you've talked about on numerous occasions on this program, are in bear market territory. They're down 23.5% and 20% respectively. Some of the other names, because you've got a lot of company here, Weiss, for other people who are holding these names. Taiwan Semi is down 23%. Teradyne's down 26.5%. Micron's down 31 That's a new 52-week low. NVIDIA's down. NXP is down. Should we be more worried about this than we potentially are? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. Look, they, they've been in bear market territory for sure. There have been no events. I mean, it's kind of ironic that there's a chip shortage, yet the chip manufacturers are trading down. Put Micron aside, it's a different story. They're in, they're in DRAM and, and NAND, and that's just a completely different cycle with completely different supply-demand characteristics and too much supply. So let's separate those in terms of what I'll call the smarter chips, which are Skyworks and Corvo. Their business is actually great. However, there are, there are obviously wrinkles in the supply chain. The third quarter to me is going to be the reset quarter where the companies will either come out and say, hey, look, you know, we're missing it. Here's our guidance going forward, missing it through no fault of our own. And I believe that. I'm always skeptical when companies say that, but I believe it this time and that that will be the buy signal to go forward. So while months ago I paired back Corvo and Skyworks because the positions have just gotten too big, it's still been very, very bruising because they're core positions. But you can't look at semis now as you looked at it in previous cycles. They're no longer dependent on just one or one and a half industries. By that, I mean personal computing or phones. They're in every single industry, and the applications are only growing. So this is a completely new sector from that standpoint without any historical precedence in terms of how they act. So you're not buying so the we'll weakness. Get through this. You're not buying the weakness. I'm just going to get right buying, to it. You're not buying the weakness. Not right now. I will be buying the weakness. Actually, let me correct you on one thing, which I didn't tell our noted producer, Patty. I did initiate a small position in Teradyne. Because no matter what happens to the supply chain, this testing, testing still goes on. It's an initial position. It's not core. I hope to build it up. 
I don't want to really buy anymore in front of the quarter, but I think the future is very bright. If you recall, I sold the stock in the 120s, mid-120s, so I'm getting back in. Okay, so that, one, that one's down, as I said, 26.5%. You make sure you tell Patty everything, all right, mm-hmm. Weiss? Don't, we don't have to, like, some things those. I want to keep just between us, Scott. Scott, some things are just you and I, you know. Thank God we brought it out. Know. Thank God like we right mentioned now. it. Joe, I don't know why you're laughing. Yeah. AMD, yeah. Lamb, <laughs> NVIDIA. What are you doing with the chips? Yeah. What's wrong with AMD? AMD's in the right business. I think a lot of these chip names, there's a differentiation between what the business model is. Steve mentioned before Micron. He's 100% correct. Those are memory chips. Right now, they have no pricing power. Demand is incredibly weak. Western Digital, Texas Instruments, they're all going to struggle in that environment. But you look at a name like NVIDIA, you're thinking about Mellanox, you're talking about exposure to graphic chips, uh, whether it is NVIDIA or even to a certain extent uh, AMD. And I think those are the right chip names. So I think you have to be very tactical. Overall, there is absolutely going to be an impact from the SMH declining below its 200-day moving average. I disagree with Steven on that. I don't think you could ignore that. That's going to have an impact on the S&P 500 itself because the chips are so incredibly important. Semis really are what the transports used to be to the economy and to the markets. So you need the SMH to hold above the 200-day moving average. But you could selectively pick winners uh, in the industry, and that's what I feel I've done with my holdings of NVIDIA, AMD, and LAM Research. Well, part of the issue is is... You know, is it more of a worrisome sign for the overall market like you just addressed? You know, maybe Weiss is suggesting mm-hmm. that right here it's not. But if it breaks even lower, the SOX and the SMH, then that may cause further weakness within the S&P 500 and then drag the overall index down. Um, Liz Young, what do you think about the yep. overall market here as it relates to weakness that we've been witnessing within the chip stocks? I think that chips are a warning sign that this isn't over yet. So I think what we want to do is say, all right, September and October have been volatile. We all expected that. That usually means that November and December are going to be nice. And if you look at what happened just last year, we went through a very similar pattern. September and October were tough months, and then we rallied through the end of the year. I have to sit back and ask myself, does it make common sense, though, anymore to rally through the end of the year? And when you take the weight of the evidence, chip stocks are just one piece of that. The other pieces of that are that growth continues to be revised downward, both in the public and the private space. You have Washington not yet resolved, right? We've we've really kicked the can down the road. Nothing's resolved yet. You have supply chain issues that we all know about. I think the big question there is how much stamina do people have? How much stamina do consumers have to continue paying for it? How much stamina do corporations have to continue passing it through? I think they're going to run out of some stamina. I mean, we're on the sixth month of inflation above 4%. Usually when we're in that range of inflation between 4 and 6%, it causes multiple contraction. And we're seeing that in the market right now. I do think that the S&P has more room to go down from here. I think we sniff at that 200-day moving average. And I don't know that we make another new high before the end of the year. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Joe, by the way, I was, I was too hard on you, man. I, I, I apologize. AMD's been good. Okay. AMD's been good. The other ones, eh, not so much. But, you know, I'll give that one back to you. Just make sure we're, we're for accuracy's sake, we're, we're all on the same page. Michael Farr, I'll get to you in just a second. I want to bring in, though, somebody who says this is no time to buy the chip stocks. It's Baycrest Jonathan Krinsky. He joins us over the phone today because he does have thoughts on what this means to the overall S&P 500 as well. Um, how worried should we be? 
Mr. Krinsky? Well, I th- you know, let's start with the semis. Um, you know, I agree with a lot of what you guys have already said, and I think there is some bifurcation going on. We, we actually like AMD um, as, as an outright stock. But I think if we're talking about the semis as a group, I think there's almost a bit of a false sense of kind of how well they've done. Um, you know, they're up about 15% on the year, but all of that gain happened in the first few weeks of the year. They're actually flat since uh, late January. So if you look at the relative performance of semis to the overall market, um, you know, it's been been weakening for, uh, you know, eight or nine months now. And I think that's really the crux of it. Um, you know, if we look at the relative performance of the semis versus the S&P, that relative performance was above a rising 200-day for about two years from the middle of 2019 until the middle of this year. But that 200-day, again, I'm talking about the 200-day of the ratio, of the relative strength, that's starting to roll over a bit. Um, and that we haven't seen that since the fall of 2018. So there's a couple of things, we, you know, we don't like about that. Semi is, you know, it's, if we're talking about the absolute weighting and, and how it impacts the S&P 500, it's about 5.5% of the S&P, which may not sound like a lot, but that's actually – would be make it um, you know the eighth biggest sector if it was a, if it's if it was its own sector so it's not insignificant I think to your to some of your guest points it's more of a sentiment gauge um, I think a lot of people look to the semis and and look to their performance and relative performance as kind of a gauge for the for the health and sentiment of the market so I think in so much as if we were to spend some time under the 200 and the SMH which we haven't really seen. In, in quite some time, you know, I think that would be, um, you know, a, a bit of a warning, um, certainly for the group, but uh, maybe possibly for the market. How closely, Michael Farr, are you watching this developing situation in the chips and wondering whether that will be the thing that breaks the back of the S&P and at least causes somewhat of a, a deeper pullback? Right. Uh, you know, they had a heck of a run since 2018. Um, and as Jonathan points out, uh, kind of flat for the second half of the year. Uh, we have the supply chain issue. And yes, we have to watch this as a sector because it is a, it's creating a headwind for S&P 500 performance. There are plenty of others. And I think Liz correctly pointed out when you get inflation a little bit higher, multiples come down a little bit. Key for me, though, is the consumer who continues to be strong. And when you looked at the J.P. Morgan report, uh, credit card activity was up 26 percent. Loans were up only 2 percent. That loan growth in that credit card portfolio tells me that the consumer still has a lot of cash. Then we get that Social Security increase, COLA, bump up of 5.9 percent. It certainly shows the inflation that Liz is worried about, and rightly so. But at the same time, we're going to have a number of Uh, All of our senior citizens are going to have more money, and the consumer is fueling two-thirds of economic growth. So I'm more constructive on the markets longer term. I am watching everything about which I worry all the time. But overall, I think we still, the the, the path of least resistance longer term continues to be up. Krinsky, um, I mentioned the pullback in some of these names has been harsh. Skyworks and, and Corvo and Teradyne, I mentioned those specifically because we were just speaking about those with Weiss. I want you to speak directly to him on those three, because you say, and you are a chartist, you say the charts are bearish for those three names, among a few others, like Taiwan Semi, which Weiss has been in before, too. And we mentioned the weakness in Micron. Um, but speak directly to Weiss about those three names. If, if he's looking for a buying opportunity and thinks he's going to get one, you're suggesting that he's going to get one fairly lower from here. 
Yeah, so, if, you know, for talking about individual names, um, I think we're far enough along in a cycle where there's a reason why some of these names are trading below 200 days. And more important to us than whether it's above or below the 200 day is, is you got to look at that slope of the 200 day because that's really telling you, you know, some long term trends are, are changing. So, um, Skyworks, the 200, it's well below the 200 day. It's starting to flatten out. Um, Paradigm, similar thing there. Um, it's actually the 200 day is starting to possibly inflect lower. So, from our perspective, if you're going to be in semis, you know, it's, I, I think it's past the time to look for the laggards. I think you want to stick with some of the leadership names. I know Joe was talking about AMD. You know, if you look at the relative strength there, that's, you know, that's starting to move higher. So that's where Broadcom, we would focus. Marvell, you have as, as bullish charts. And look, right. there aren't many on your list, right? Right, right, right. And, you know, again, this call, it, a big part of it um, hinges on Taiwan Semi, which is interesting because they report earnings tomorrow. We'll see how that happens stock react to the numbers, but you know, it's about 15% of the SMH. And the concerning aspect there is it's tested this 108, 109 support level about five times over the last six to eight months. So, you know, if we lose that, that 108 level, that's, that's a big hit to Taiwan Semi. There's, you know, some, a bit of an air pocket below there, and that's obviously going to hurt the SMH. But I think stock selection is probably more important um, within the group than it's been in some time. We just wouldn't be looking at the laggards at this point, we would be sticking with some of the, the relative strength because, um, you know, at, when, when markets transition into into more of a uh, you know a, more of a downtrend, it's it's the laggards that actually underperform. They don't they don't tend to play catch up. In other words, Weiss, I'll give you the last word before I let Jonathan go. These things may not right. be recovering anytime <laughs> soon. I mean, it sounds almost like falling knife possibility here. Yeah, and I'm not disagreeing. I mean, the charts are among the ugliest you'll take a look at. But, uh, and that's why I'm saying, let's see what the third quarter does. If the third quarter is a bad quarter and the stocks get flushed, well, then right now I've got Skyworks at 14 times next year. And I don't know uh, what Jonathan's reference is, is to cycle, but we're in, the, in year one and a half of a 10-year 5G cycle that's much more ubiquitous than it was before. It's not just phones. You know, the opportunity is unbelievable, and we're seeing that everywhere in warehouses. So I'm more concerned about valuation. I don't want to chase momentum of the stocks that are doing well, that have these valuations that are just much, much higher. If you're patient, take a long-term view. I think you'll do much better buying cheaper than buying higher price. Okay. So I'm not saying I'm going in. I'm going in when the, when the price and timing's right. I got you. I got you. Uh, Krinsky, thank you, as always. I appreciate it. Interesting note you had today. Teed us up for a good conversation. We'll see you soon. That's Jonathan Krinsky joining us. Uh, you talk about Skyworks, Corvo, 5G. Uh, you talk about Apple. And there are those reports of possible production cuts. Those are making the rounds today. And the street is weighing in, Joe, and uh, mass, uh, led by Katie Huberty, Morgan Stanley. By the dip is her view on the back of supply-driven disruptions. He says, overweight, reiteration, 168 is the price target. J.P. Morgan production headwinds change timing of the upside, but not the magnitude. Evercore ISI, death taxes, unconfirmed rumors of iPhone production cuts. You want to make sense of, of all of that? For a stock, by the way, that was below 140, it had a nice move above that. Mm -hmm. And let me check it as we speak about it here. We'll throw it up on the screen, too. Um, so it's right at 140 now, trying to get back towards 157, which yeah. was its 52-week high. 
Yeah, so very, very critical to the direction of where the S&P is going to be is, is all these mega cap equity names, what, what ultimately they're going to do. I agree most with the J.P. Morgan note. I think now the question of how quickly uh, the magnitude of the upside is realized, uh, that's really, really the way you have to think about Apple. I'm not going to get out of Apple, but I just I think now maybe you prolong a return to the previous all-time high uh, if you expected that to come sooner. I think this is more really about uh, Broadcom, more about Texas Instruments, which both of those names are so critical, uh, whether it's the wireless component contribution or the OLED display contribution from each of these names. I think the second derivative trade is impacted here. I don't know if Steve has Skyworks uh, on, but that certainly is going to be impacted here. So I think it's the derivative of Apple. By the way, Scott, I don't think this news is surprising to anyone. I mean, we clearly have a very critical uh, challenge here for the entire country and the world as it relates to the supply chain chain disruption for these semis. And they are so integral in everything that we're doing. So I'm not going to sell out of Apple on this, but I'm going to understand that this is certainly that's going to uh, create a little bit of a pause element. NASDAQ's having a pretty good day. It's up nearly 60 points, shy of a half percent, Liz. These mega caps, um, Apple included, uh, you know, are Correction territory. I mean, they're 10%, most of them, off of their 52-week highs. Whether it is Apple right at 10%, which is down 5.5% over one month. Amazon's down 14% off of its high. Facebook's down 155 And it's had its own issues. I totally understand that. But nonetheless, we, we keep them within the group. Um, Alphabet's loss and Microsoft's loss has been less severe. We've talked about the importance of these stocks to the overall market. If you're going to avoid the deeper correction that the likes of um, Mike Wilson continue to call for, you better not have a further breakdown in these names. That's right. And that just further proves the point that I made earlier. I don't think we're going to make new highs. We can't really make new highs unless we have new strength in these big cap names. And I don't think we're going to see that through the end of the year. I think the Fed still tapers regardless of some of these headwinds. And when tapering occurs, that's going to raise the long end of the curve, which continues to pressure these names. But it does bode well for some of the things that would be sensitive to the shorter end of the curve, dividend payers, financials. So if we're talking about buying the dip, I, I would buy the dip on financials in this space. But those big cap tech names over the long term, still positive on tech, still positive on healthcare. But over the next 90 days, I don't think that this is a buy the dip scenario. Mm. I think this is a scenario where we need the average stock to come back and drive the indexes to a point where we're still positive on the year. Maybe we go down a bit more from here, four or five percent. We make it back by the end of the year. But I don't think we're going to see anything astronomical by December 31st. Why why'd you buy the dip in Facebook? That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I bought it as a trade, as you, as you recall, I think it was a week or uh, probably a week ago. Where, where I sold half my position, and I said, I'm going to sell the second half on any lift. Well, we didn't get a lift. We got the opposite. Stock traded down another, what, 20 points or so. So it was down 2.5% yesterday morning in the open. I added to what I had left as a tactical trade. So I'm still keeping that for a little bit. I think it moves up. The company that I'm worried most about in the big cap tech actually is Apple. And the reason I say that is I would have sold part of my Apple position until the last remaining telco came out and said, we'll give you a $1,000 subsidy to buy a new phone. If you recall, it had only been T-Mobile and I think AT&T, and Verizon finally joined the crowd, 
or maybe it was 18 million, but you get my point, because the features aren't there enough to drive that kind of spending. So you've got a company that's seen their multiple almost double, and in my view is, I agree with Liz, I'm probably getting there 10 minutes earlier because I'm driving myself instead of taking an Uber, but <laughs> I agree that we're not gonna make new highs I think that you're going to see multiple compression, and I'm very worried about the third quarter. So I remain in a lot of cash on the sidelines, hoping for a massive flush, sort of hoping it's going to be painful for me as well, and then to get in. But Apple's one, if it gets back up there, I believe I'll sell. The products, you just they last longer, and you just don't need to tee up another iPhone for over a thousand bucks with just an improved lens. But I find it just, interesting, doesn't though. Doesn't make any sense. I, I find it interesting, though, that you're most worried about Apple but most, most in, for, so to speak, on two of the stocks that play into the ecosystem of, of Skyworks and Corvo, right? I mean, well, yeah, so, so Corvo's, uh, Skyworks uh, business has gone from 70% Apple to 50%, and they made an acquisition earlier this year that helped with that transition. So, so yeah, so Skyworks continue to grow with Apple, and keep in mind that their dollar content by phone goes up dramatically with each new innovation that, and I use that sort of tongue-in-cheek, that Apple comes out with. So I'm not worried about Skyworks. I'm worried about them right now. As a matter of fact, when the news came out yesterday, when it was rumored, I sold a little bit, not a lot, but it's still a healthy position, as is Corvo. Michael Farr of Apple, most valuable company in the market. You own it? Yeah I, 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 yeah, I own it. And and I would add to it. And I disagree. I think that this is the supply chain short term. I don't think this demand for new iPhones gets destroyed. I've already ordered my iPhone 13. I, I ordered it a couple of weeks ago. I'm waiting for it in the mail. Can't wait, actually. I'm using a 10 now. I like my 10. I'm looking forward to the 13. Uh, longer battery life, all that sort of stuff that we need. But as you look to Apple for the next couple of years, I don't know what Apple's going to do this quarter, right? Uh, or, but over the next few years, we see Apple growing earnings in the low double digits, 11, 12 percent earnings growth. It's 24 times next year. This is a solid company with a huge cash position, liquidity, and I think a great deal of visibility. So for a long-term hold, this is, I think this is kind of a core name. We've also seen several cycles, Scott, where we've seen folks who want to call the death of the, set de uh, of the tech sector, death of tech. It's, it's pulled back a few times, and then it holds up. So all tech's not the same. Some of these companies have really strong fundamentals that are growing. You can buy them at a reasonable value. Uh, I can't tell you about the trade for the next quarter, but long term, I want to own, I'm going to keep my Microsoft, I'm going to keep my Apple, uh, and 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 be and my Facebook too. I'm I'm happy with all of them. You know, I, I'll steer the conversation back towards the overall market because, you know, Weiss is sitting in a lot of cash. Joe, you've had more calls than not probably for some sort of pullback in the market, except for Larry Fink, who runs the biggest asset manager on planet Earth. And he told the gang on Squawk Box this this morning. I was kind of a little surprised. But here's what he said, and we can kick it on the other side. I'm very bullish over the long run, but could we see a period of time like we've seen in the month of September and even now in October? This rotation, this, this consternation in the marketplace. 
I, I think that may be longer than people estimate, but I think at the back end, when we have more understanding of how this is all going to play out, I truly believe uh, we are going to see higher, higher highs in the equity markets. Now, Joe, I don't know about you. Maybe I expected Mr. Fink to say, yeah, valuations are a little stretched. We got all this stuff going on. Higher highs in the equity market. That's the part that's going to stick with me. What about you? Oh, I agree with that. I mean, we're, we're not looking at a bear, the onset of a bear market anytime, uh, certainly over the next 12 months. So can we continue to have a corrective type of uh, pattern, which is what we've had since September? Uh, the answer to that without question is, is yes. You know my feelings surrounding this upcoming earnings season. I've said it is the single most important earnings season since October 2018, when at that time you had to hear about tariffs and PPG and Caterpillar and UTX told you how bad uh, they were going to be in terms of their guidance. It's the very same scenario now. Rising input costs. What is that going to mean to margins if we are unable to really have some strong guidance and overcome a lot of these input cost challenges uh, that we're facing in this quarter, then guess what, Scott? A lot of the calls for all-time highs to return by the end of this year, they're going to be incorrect because we're going to sit in this sideways to lower pattern. But ultimately, no, we're not at the onset of a bear market. No, I, I don't, I'm not suggesting that, that we are. Um, but we're still not mm-hmm. talking about the Delta variant. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I think that still is is more important than earnings. I, I don't know. I just feel like everybody keeps saying, oh, the consumer's flush, got all this money. I know you could have some turbulence continuing for the remainder of the month, just, you know, seasonally things aren't particularly great in September and October. But the market's going to anticipate the other side of a pandemic becoming COVID being endemic, and the world's going to move forward and be in a better place stock market's going to get that, isn't it, Liz? Uh, I don't know that the stock market's going to be propelled by suddenly deciding that the Delta variant is behind us. I think we found out pretty quickly that Delta pressured us in August, and it did become behind us pretty quickly in September. So I think that's kind of done and gone. What I'm concerned about is when you look at even just the seasonality factor, which I, as we know, I do not like that as an explanation. But even if you just look at that, compared to last year, we had some pretty big aces in the hole last year. We were trying to get past an election. We got past it. That was a positive. Within one week, we had this huge vaccine news. We don't have those kinds of aces in our hand this year. So there needs to be a bigger catalyst that would drive us to new highs by the end of the year. Now, long term, maybe there are some of those aces next year as earnings recover. But to Joe's point, Third quarter earnings is a very important season. I think second quarter earnings was an important season, too. And we saw so many revisions upward. The market didn't care. So I don't know what makes us think that the market is going to care so much about third quarter earnings, even if they come in higher than expected. Fourth quarter earnings are going to continue to be pressured by supply chain. So I think we've got some real mud to slug through before we get to another new high. And again, I don't think that new high happens until 2022. I mean, if. if you got to feel like some respects in inflation concerns, supply chain concerns are in the market. Like, what is somebody going to tell us at this point that we don't already know that the market hasn't already anticipated or, or, or worked worked in? So, I mean, there's going to be such a huge shock. I, I guess it's possible. But you have to believe that some of that's already in the market or we would have had a correction already of 
no. major magnitude. I know we've had a, a below-the-surface deal. Hold on, Joe. I, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to lead you into a question. i got to take a quick break. We'll talk about it on the other side. Straight ahead, J.P. Morgan kicks off earnings for the banks. More report tomorrow. We'll trade the financials with the committee next. We're back in two minutes. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. William Shatner, Captain Kirk on Star Trek, has made it to space. He, along with three other passengers, were on a rocket from Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin. Shatner, who was 90, is now the oldest person to go into space. You have done something. I mean, whatever those other guys are doing, what, it, what isn't, they don't, I don't know about that. What you have given me is the most profound experience I can imagine. FDA staffers sounding a positive note on the benefit of Johnson & Johnson's COVID vaccine booster shots. Although the agency did acknowledge it has not verified the company's data, it also questioned whether a test used by J&J to measure immune response was sensitive enough to produce useful results. And in Georgia, a judge has dismissed a lawsuit alleging voter fraud during the 2020 election. The suit calls for a review of nearly 150,000 absentee ballots to search for illegitimate votes in the state's most populous county. And on the news, the Supreme Court considers whether to reimpose the death penalty for the Boston Marathon bomber. The case is for and against tonight at 7 Eastern. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. I appreciate that very much, Rahel. Thank you. All right, let's talk some calls of the day. Get some more individual stock ownership names in here. Steve Weiss, Dick Sporting Goods, okay? Top pick at Bank of America. It's been one of your top picks, right? Price targets 160. That's big from here. 37% upside. You like it as much as you have in the past? I do, I do. So the stock trade up to 140 on earnings. And I said, if it pulled back, I'd buy some more. I had bought some more, and I've mentioned on the show over the last couple of weeks. Look, it's down because Nike came out and they said, hey, we're having some supply chain issues. Dick sells Nike. 
So that's the issue. Those are temporary. Dix is under new management, completely new CEO over the last couple of years, and she's done a phenomenal job. They've got plans there to change the business a little bit, smaller stores, etc. I think it's a phenomenal stock, very cheap. It, is so, it was so much cheaper at 140 with the increase in earnings estimates going forward and this year than it was when I bought it originally at 95. So, yes, I still like it, still a core holding. I mean, we're looking, we were just looking at the, it's up better than a double this year. Um, that doesn't factor in mm-hmm. here at all. I think it was 110% on the year, if I looked at that right. We can show that again. Gang, please. Weiss? You, you, you got to look at where the earnings are now and where the stock price is versus where the earnings were when, when it was down at that level before it doubled. And if the earnings continue to go up, and if you're feeling better about going out to stores, and they've got a great pickup at the curb uh, process, then, yeah, it's cheaper now. Stocks can be cheaper as they move higher than they were when they were lower. Conversely, just because the stock drops 50%, if the earnings get cut 75%, then it's a more expensive stock. So, yeah, so I still like it here. Okay. I still think it's cheap. Joe, I'm, I'm pulling up shares of Monster Beverage right now, which are down close to 3% today uh, on a downgrade by way of Jeffries. They go to hold from buy. They slash the price target to 92 from 113. This is one of yours. So they take a hard look at it and say, mm, time to downgrade. What about you? Yeah, this, this, this is an important stock to touch on. I bought this stock at 83.60 back on March 5th, and I proclaimed at the time it would trade above $100. Well, it got to 99.89 on August 10th. And unfortunately, my ego, my ego and probably too much hubris at the time, uh, wanting that $100 plus print kept me in the stock. What I failed to realize is that rising aluminum pricing, rising input costs, what I was talking about before, was going to impact margins. Monster Beverage, I understand the innovation surrounding flavors and coffee. That's why I'm there. But if we're going to continue to see rising input prices, guess what, Scott? They're going to have to raise prices, and they're not doing that. And that's disappointing the street. That's why the poor performance is reflected in the stock price. And candidly, it's one of the reasons why I cannot let a winning trade trade turn into a losing trade. And I'm going to pay close attention to where this trades over the coming days and might even liquidate the position. What's going to be the deciding? I mean, again, it's down 3% today. You got a number in your head for our viewers who may have joined you in this? Yeah, so 83.60 is where I am in. This stock needs to reverse by the close on Friday from today's. It cannot trade down below $84 by Friday. If it does, I'm out. All right. But for me to stay in it, I need to see a significant reversal, what uh, viewers would know to be from our friend Josh Brown, an island reversal. Okay. We need that type of a formation to stay in. I appreciate you getting as specific as you possibly can for people. Uh, let me just stay with you and get a quick thought on Chipotle and Lulu, which you own. Um, among uh-huh. stocks named their top millennial picks uh, by Cowan. Uh, they're the ones who have done it. It's their fourth annual Gen Z and millennial survey. Uh, and they come out with Chipotle and Lulu as two of their three tops. PayPal's the other one. But since you own Chipotle and, um, and Lulu, I'll get, you, I'll get you with those. Does that make me a millennial? I hope it does. In your, in your dreams, <laughs> Joe, smoke, in your dreams. Smoke, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, this, listen, I, I hope you yeah, have welcome, the smoke Joe. brisket welcome at Chipotle because— 
Yeah, exactly. The the smoked brisket at Chipotle is just absolutely phenomenal. Listen, I've spoken at length over the past couple of months about both of these companies. I use the products of each of them. I wear Lululemon. I eat at Chipotle. They're doing a dramatic recreation, both phenomenal management staff. Uh, the challenge for these in the last couple of weeks is simple. They're longer duration assets. We're seeing treasury yields move higher, and they, you're going to see a pause in the appreciation for these stocks under those circumstances. But the fundamental secular story, no way, doesn't change. That's why you own these stocks. It's fantastic. Weiss, you're nearly a millennium. Don't ever lose sight of that, okay? Yeah. That's the category <laughs> and, you and fall in. And I have a question in. for Joe. <laughs> we got to go. I got to go. I have a question for Joe. If, if it's a joke, okay. I'm going. If it's serious, go ahead. You better go then. Exactly. Up next, the investment committee is making more moves in the market. Michael Farr gives us his latest buy. We'll do that next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is LinkedIn.com slash Halftime Report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to LinkedIn.com slash Halftime Report and get started. All right, we got some moves I want to get to, uh, as I promised. Michael Farr, you bought more Ross Stores? I, I did. Ross Stores is a uh, off-price uh, treasure hunt retailer. Uh, they, they change their inventory all the time. They've been under some price pressure. The store is very well managed. They've got almost 1,900 stores open, and they're going to take that to 3,000 stores over the next eight years or so. So I get 6% growth from the store growth. I've got a company now trading at around 20 times earnings, growing earnings at 12% with a 1% dividend. Stock pulled back a little bit. I've liked it for a long time, so we, we added to it. I think that's going to work out very well for us. Okay. Uh, something that has not worked out very well for you, Michael Farr, uh, nor Steve Weiss, FedEx. Weiss, it's your core position. Yeah. Fe- right? Oh. Sorry, I was going to get on yeah. Steve now. Michael, give you a pass. You're, you're not with us that oh, often. Oh, that's I don't very nice. You. I mean, you're not going to upset me, but thank you. Uh, no, because people are talking well, about well, it on Twitter, guys. Um, FedEx, Weiss, you added to your position. Yeah. For a stock that's been a DOG, right? A dog. It's been down. It's down 25% over the last three months. I'm going to cut Michael some slack Mm -hmm. and put it all on you, Weiss. Yeah, well, Michael put me into it. No, only kidding. Look, uh, this is what Joe talks about in terms of having hey, you guys a winning both trade. Put I added into mine too, Steve. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. That is is the problem. You guys put people into this thing. Now it's a dog. Yep. Right. Right. 
It, it is a dog, but I haven't abandoned those people. And I added more recently, got under no. 220. It's like 218, 219. So I added a little more then. Look, this company is selling at 10 times next year's earnings. I can't tell you what the latest news is, which is today, in terms of agreeing to operate the ports in L.A. for 24 hours. There's a chance that could further pressure their costs and their margins. But look, the world's moved exponentially further towards online and that's what FedEx does. So I would say I wouldn't say they've had missteps. It said missteps have been in the guidance on the labor costs. But if you recall revenues last quarter were a lot higher and beat expectations. It's the margins got hurt. This is temporary in my view. And I've got a company that's selling five turns below what their historical valuation is on a PE basis about ten times next year's earnings. And next year's earnings I believe are going to be excellent. So look, so I've tested my bounds of my personal stupidity by continuing to add to this as it's traded lower. <laughs> but I'm confident that going out a year, two years, three years, I'll be richly rewarded. OK. All right. Well, fair enough. I mean, you know, look. Guys and it's a not a huge fault of management here either. I mean, it's really been a hugely difficult operating environment. It did catch me by surprise. And I and I own it. But I did add to it. This is a long term core position. A couple of years from now. Next quarter could be tough, too. So don't expect this for a trade, I don't think. But long term, I like FedEx and I'm sticking with Agreed. it. I'm I very disappointed I mean, in it. You know, let, let's be clear. UPS has done better than FedEx. So what, what one was able to manage better than the other has to be taken into consideration, too. Don't we think? I mean, Big not, difference in the customer fair, mix, too. Very, Big difference in the customer mix. Very, very different. D don't forget FedEx, you know, said, hey, Amazon, we don't want to do business with you because the margins are way too low. So there's been a transition in their business there as well. UPS has a yield that's been somewhat supportive of the stock, but, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm very comfortable with FedEx. Okay. And it typically sells at a premium to UPS. That's fine. I mean, the hot seat's okay. You, can defend, your, you can defend your position. Yeah. I totally get it. All right, coming up, we're yeah. set to get some new clues about the Fed's view on the economy. That's right. Are rate hikes coming sooner than we think? We have new reporting on that. You'll hear it next. About an hour until we get the latest Fed minutes comes after another read on inflation. The CPI ran hotter than estimates last month. Our Steve Leisman has some new reporting as well on when the first rate hike could be. Maybe sooner than people are prepared for or at least think could be the case. Yeah, Scott, the probabilities are definitely creeping up. Uh, two things are happening. One is that, uh, you know, we're getting closer in time to those times when it was already priced in. The other thing is, is that the market is moving forward. Uh, the, the probability of nearer term rate hikes. If you take a look at our chart here, about a 62 percent of a September 2022 quarter point hike, uh, ratcheting up to 84 percent by December. Uh, just a couple months ago, the odds on uh, choice there for the market was December. So it's come forward by a few months, about a quarter of that first rate hike. There was some probability of a second rate hike being built into the December contracts, a, a 50 basis point move or or by that time. So uh, this is happening along with the rise in the two-year yield. And if you could take a look, Scott, the two-year has been very well behaved relative to the post-great financial crisis period, where you could see it was above 50 basis points, most at or near 50 basis points most of that time. It is now just creeping up at 36 basis points. So the Fed over most of this pandemic period has had the two-year well under control. And now the market with tapering coming is starting both to price in that first rate hike sometime next year and increasingly bring it forward uh, into September right now. Well, I, I wonder how much of this has to do 
with the Fed's hand being forced, which moves it up because inflation turns out to be more dramatic and last longer than people have expected, including Jay Powell, or if this is a representation, too, of expectations of just a stronger economy, maybe it's a combination of both. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of truth to what you say uh, in the first thing, that the Fed's hand is being forced. If I could just put a little bit more precise language on it, Scott, it's the market betting on the probability of the Fed's hands being forced down the road. So there is some chance, and I think that here's where the bet is, that that inflation does not control itself and that what the Fed will have to do is turn from tapering to rate cuts, or sorry, rate hikes more quickly than is currently priced in. It's all down the road. I think the belief is that the Fed is going to give it some time here uh, early next year, the first quarter, the second quarter next year. And if that doesn't do the trick, then I think we'll talk, be talking about a faster uh, timescale uh, for uh, the first rate hike. Freudian slip on the rate cut thing, right? I get it totally. <laughs> all right, Steve, thank you. Diagnosing. Well done, doctor. <laughs> yeah. All right. Steve Leesman uh, joining us, our senior economics reporter. Ask Halftime is coming up next. Send your questions by video. We'll play them on the air. We'll answer them. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back after this. All right. Let's answer a question. Weiss, I have it for you uh, from Twitter. It says, will you ask Steve Weiss about Moderna? My average price is $190, and I'm debating whether to average up on the pullback. What's your advice here? So, uh, look, so it's, it's, it's my largest position by far, and I look at this as two, three, four, five, ten-year story. So I think it's going higher. However, and here's the caveat, which is not a caveat to me because I'm not doing anything about it other than perhaps buying calls. They go in front of the FDA tomorrow for the booster. And it's sort of like a good news, bad news, because their vaccine is so effective. The efficacy is only dropping from 95 percent to 85 percent after six months versus Pfizer. That's gone from 94 percent, 95 percent down to 55 percent after six months and 45 percent against the Delta variant. So they need the booster. So the FDA may say, hey, wait, let's wait longer to get more data to see if we really need a booster more than a year rather than six months. I think at the end of the day, the FDA does approve the booster. And then on Friday, they'll talk about mix and matching. And given the much superior profile, efficacy profile of Moderna versus Pfizer, and J&J is not even in, in the running, if you have a choice, you're going to take the Moderna booster. So, and that's going to be, by the way, at half the amount that you're getting now, 50 micrograms versus 100. But in any event, that doubles their production, increases their earnings. Their pipeline is very, very robust. So if you don't care about a possible dislocation over the next few days, I think the stock is extraordinarily cheap based upon the fundamentals right now and incredibly cheap as you go out and their technology comes to fruition. Okay. This is not biotech. This is technology. Period. Okay. Good stuff. Thanks for the question. Thanks for the answer. Final trades coming up next. All right, let's do final trades. Liz Young, you're up first. Dividend payers. If I'm right and the market continues to go down, you're going to want it on the downside, and you want to look for something that has a yield above where I think the 10-year gets by the end of the year. The one we're showing is a yield of about 3.4%. Okay. Joey. If I liquidate Monster Beverage, I will use those funds and buy DocuSign. Okay. Well, I feel like that's coming. You better tell us when. All right, Joey, thank you. Michael Farr. 
Donaldson, I like it on the pullback here. Razor, razor blade model, I would add to positions. I own it. Weiss. GXO Logistics, it's still got scarcity value. This is the first day that has been going up in a while. All right. It's not only scarcity, but logistics is where you want to be. I like it. I would add. All right, guys. Thank you very much. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.